0: This morning I'd like to read two passages. The first one will be from Isaiah 48:9 through 11, and then we'll move into Matthew 7, or excuse me, Matthew 6, verses 7 to 13. And this morning we're looking at the first petition of the Lord's Prayer about hallowing God's name. This is what the Lord said in Isaiah 48:9 through 11. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that you may not be cut off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as fire. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profane? My glory I will not give to another. And then Matthew 6, beginning at verse 7. And when you pray, but deliver us from evil. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, once again, we want to ask that You will teach us how to pray. Instruct us this morning about the sacredness of Your name, of how You act for Your own name's sake, how You do all things for Your glory. And even as we pray this, we ask that You will answer our prayers positively for the glory of Your name, as well as for our joy. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to begin this morning by playing a little game of Let's Pretend. Now, I know it's a children's game, but uh, you adults can play as well. Um, let's say that the United States government is in utter disarray. That's that's not the pretend part yet. <laughs> and the American citizens collectively recognize you as a possible political candidate because they see that you haven't been endowed with the wisdom of Solomon. That's the pretend part in case you didn't know. <laughs> And they elect you as king. not as president, they elect you as king. And as the newly installed monarch, the people want you to establish a new constitution. And as part of that new constitution, they want you to put together a new Bill of Rights, perhaps ten declarations. So the question I have for you in our little game is, uh, what would you choose for those foundational principles? What would you choose? Would you include a law to safeguard the sanctity of human life, including unborn life? Uh, Would you declare a declaration to protect private property? Would you include a law against adultery? Uh, Would you mandate, as one of those ten declarations, the honoring of father and mother? Would one of your ten declarations include a law against profaning God's name? By now, perhaps you have seen my correlation with the Ten Commandments. When God established the nation of Israel, they were to be governed by the Ten Commandments, which included the Third Commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes His name in vain. God is serious about His name not being profaned, about His name being held in the highest reverence. Uh, Believe it or not, there was actually a time in America when it was against the law to take God's name in vain. In R.C. Sproul's book, uh, The Prayer of Our Lord, this is what he writes. Several years ago, I read a magazine article about a truck driver who had been arrested in Maryland for drunk and disorderly conduct. He was verbally abusive to the arresting officers, so much so that by the time they got him to the magistrate for a hearing on the misdemeanor they wanted the magistrate to throw the book at him. The magistrate saw that according to the statute of the state of Maryland, the maximum penalty that he could impose on the truck driver for drunk and disorderly conduct was a fine of $100 and 30 days in jail. However, he also noticed on the law books a prohibition against public blasphemy. So he assigned another 30 days in jail and another $100 fine because in his verbal abuse of the officers during the time of his arrest, the truck driver had blasphemed the name of God. The magazine in which I read about this incident published an editorial vehemently protesting this outdated, arcane, puritanical law that was still on the books and was still being enforced in our modern, sophisticated culture. The editors were furious that anyone in America in this day and age would be penalized by the law for publicly blaspheming God. I couldn't help but think that the truck drivers could be glad he didn't live in ancient Israel. Because if he had blasphemed the name of God in that culture, it would have cost him not merely 30 days in jail and $100, but his very life. Once again, uh, God is very serious about the honoring and the reverencing of His name. God wrote it in stone on the Ten Commandments under the Old Covenant. It was a crime worthy of capital punishment. And when we turn to the New Testament, And the disciples asked Jesus, how shall we pray? After telling them to address God in heaven as their Father, He says the very first thing you want to ask God to do is to see to it that His name is hallowed. That is to be your number one petition. That is to be your number one priority when you go before Him in prayer. Ask that He will hallow His name on earth, even as it is in heaven. Now, before we look at the meaning of that petition and some of the benefits for us, I want us to back up a little bit and look at the context once again. We looked at it last week, but I want us to consider it again. Matthew 6, beginning at verse 7. And when you pray, Jesus said, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. So, the confidence that Gentiles have as they pray is that because they're praying on and on and on, somehow that obligates God to give them a favorable answer. They did their part. Now God has to do His part. Jesus goes on to say in verse 8, "...do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him." By contrast, our confidence isn't in the fact that we pray really, really hard. It's not that we've been really, really good people. Our confidence comes from the fact that we're talking to our Father. A Father who has adopted us into His family. A Father who loves us just as much as He loves Jesus. A Father who knows what is best for us. And therefore, we can have confidence as we lay our requests before Him He will answer according to His perfect love and His perfect wisdom for us. That's where our confidence lies in prayer. Now, last week we mentioned that there's an objection here because in verse 8 he said, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So people say, well, if God knows what I need before I ask, then why pray? And I said, well, one answer is because we don't know what we need. And we looked at Romans 8:26 and 27, which shows that we've been given the Holy Spirit to help us because we don't know what to pray for. So the Holy Spirit helps us in prayer and He actually intercedes on our behalf. Now, let me give you two more answers to the question. If God knows what we need, then why pray? Another answer is because prayer isn't just about getting stuff from God. Think about the question in the first place, well, why pray if God knows what I already need? Well, isn't prayer about more than just getting things from God? How about just relating to God? Often we we ask one another, "Um, how's your devotions going? Or how's your quiet time? I, I think that's a good question, but I think we have to be careful because what we may be saying is, are you doing your duty to God? Are you taking time out of your schedule reading the Bible and praying like He commands you to do? Now, it's okay to ask those questions, but maybe we should ask this question. Maybe this would be more helpful. How is your communion with God the Father and with God the Son and with God the Holy Spirit Uh, The Puritan John Owen talked about communion with God and, and he talked about relating to each of the three persons of the Godhead. Of course, we believe in one God, but three persons, that's the simple definition of the Trinity. Three persons eternally existing in one God. And he said we can commune with all of them. We can commune with the Father and we can commune with the Son and thank Him for dying on the cross on our behalf and... Paying the price for our sin. We can commune with the Spirit and thank the Spirit for filling us and empowering us and and leading us. And and John Owen said, I I love all three members of the Godhead. I don't know which one I love the most. I love them all. How's our communion? Isn't that part of what prayer is? Just communing with God and enjoying Him. Isn't that why we exist? Westminster Shorter Catechism question number one. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to join me, glorify God, and enjoy Him forever. What's the chief end of prayer? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So, why pray? How about just to enjoy the presence of God? Pray for the same reason you'd get together with a good friend over coffee is to enjoy the presence of one another. Second reason why pray. Because we don't know what we need. You say, we said that last week. Yes. But last week I said, we don't know what we need. Therefore, God has given us the Spirit. This week I want to say, yes, He's given us the Spirit. We don't know what to pray for. Therefore, He has also given us the Lord's Prayer. That's very important. The Lord's Prayer. Your Father knows what you need before you ask. Jesus says, therefore, pray like this. And Jesus said, this is what you need to pray for. Because these are the greatest needs of your life. That's so important. I don't know what you think you, you need today, but what you need more than anything else is what's contained right here in the Lord's Prayer. This is what you need. You may not know, but this is what you need. You need God's name to be hallowed. You need His kingdom to come. You need His will to be done. You need Him to meet your needs. You need Him to forgive you. You need Him to keep you from temptation and to deliver you from evil or the evil one. That's what you need more than anything else. That's crucial. The Lord's Prayer is is outlining our needs. And we can see from looking at the first three petitions for God's name, for God's kingdom, and God's will to be done, we can see that our greatest need, our ultimate need, is to be concerned with God's agenda. What we need more than anything else, in other words, is to be God-centered. That's what we need. Because our problem... Our number one problem is that we're self-centered. We think it's about my name. Isn't it really about my reputation? Isn't it really about my little kingdom that I'm trying to... And isn't really about my will? is it about what I want done? Can any of you relate to that? Yeah. Okay, thank you. There's two of us. <laughs> <laughs> sin. S-I-N. You know, what's right smack in the middle of sin? A big That I, or self, self, self. And what we need is to get outside of self and think about God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. And then when we get that right, then we can move on to the second three petitions. But let's remember that they relate to the first three. So in order to give ourselves to God's name, to God's kingdom, and God's will, we then need Him to give us bread. We need the necessities of life. We need for Him to forgive us, help us to forgive others. We need for Him to strengthen us so that we can be delivered from temptation and evil. So these petitions are all related to one another. Now, there's another way I want us to see the relationship of these six petitions. We can also look at it this way. Uh, The first petition is primary that God's name would be hallowed, and then the other five petitions that come after that all relate to that one. Uh, John Piper states the connection this way. This is what he wrote in his journal October 9th 2010. He said, Nothing is more clear and unshakable to me than that the purpose of the universe is for the hallowing of God's name. Did you get that? Nothing is more clear and unshakable to me than that the purpose of the universe is for the hallowing of God's name. His kingdom comes for that. His will is done for that. Humans have bread sustaining life for that. Sins are forgiven for that. Temptation is escape for that. See what he's saying? It's very important. Everything else that we pray for, we're praying for, So that God's name would be hallowed. So that God's name would be exalted. So that He would be honored and reverence. So life is all about hallowing God's name. Now, what does that mean? I think we stumble over this this phrase because uh, the word hallow is kind of an old-fashioned phrase. English word. How many of you used the word hallow in the last week? (laughs) Other than a little while ago when we said the Lord, how about the last month? How about the last year? Yeah, see, there's the problem. We just just don't use this word hallow, so we say, hallowed be thy name, and it's kind of vague. It's kind of fuzzy for us. Uh, The verb to hallow simply means to make holy. Um, We get the word Sanctify from this. It means to set apart. So we're praying that God's name would be held. We're praying that God would take His name and that He would set aside His name so that it would be honored, so that it would be reverenced. That's what we're praying for. When we pray for God's name to be held, we're praying that He would set it apart for honor, for recognition, for reverence. John Calvin writes that God's name should be hallowed is to say that God should have His own honor of which He is so worthy, so that men should never think or speak of Him without the greatest veneration. And of course, all throughout the Bible, in the Psalms and in the prophets, you see the importance of God's name. I'll give you just a couple of examples. Psalm 103.1 Praise the Lord, O my soul! All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Psalm 8 1. O Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So let's realize that to praise God's name is to praise God. And to curse God's name is to curse God Himself, which is why every Single time we hear God's name cursed, wherever it is, we should gasp. Cosmic treason to take God's name in vain it is the foulest thing that could come out of our mouths to curse God's name. It really is. I don't know what words bother you, but what should bother you more than anything else, I really mean that more than anything else, is God's name. Being profaned, and a couple of weeks ago I, I saw little kids profaning God's name, and I, I was so disturbed. Like that—that that is not good. They are not moving in a good direction. We're at a little age. God's name, the name of Jesus Christ, is used as a common curse word. That is not the hallowing of God's name. Simply put, to say that God's name should be hallowed is to say that God should receive all the glory. That God should be glorified in everything. And of course, our unofficial church verse is 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for what? The glory glory of God. Um, I wonder if any of you have had this experience. you you get up in the morning, you have a button down shirt, and you begin to button your, your shirt, and you're maybe halfway done, you're almost done, and, and you realize, uh oh, I got, I got the first, first couple of buttons off. You know, now the whole thing is off. You ever had that experience? Got to unbutton everything and, and start all over again. Uh, Hallowing God's name is like that. Um, if you get that right, Everything else lines up as it should. If you get that wrong, everything else is off-kilter. Your life is off-kilter. Everything is just imbalanced. And one of the reasons why worship on a Sunday morning is so beneficial, whether we realize it or not, is we, we realigned our lives once again. Just by singing praises to God, we reminded ourselves, God is God, I am not... <laughs> He is seated upon the throne. It's time for me to get off the throne again. It's time for me to bow down before Him and to think about His glory and His kingdom and His will and what I can do to honor Him. And when that happens, we leave on a Sunday morning and again, whether we realize it or not, life is back in focus because God is in His rightful place. And it's like we say, life is as it should be. God is once again on His throne. Not that He went anywhere, but I forgot that life was all about God and that life revolves around Him and not myself. Now, there are many practical benefits to honoring God, but let me me give you just a few. One benefit is liberation from self. Liberation from self. And I really do mean, we need need to be liberated from Himself, and I, and I said this earlier. Sin is basically um, about self. This is what John Stott writes in his in his book Why I Am a Christian. He says the essence of evil is, is self centeredness. The essence of evil is self centeredness, and he mentions this passage from Mark seven twenty one to twenty three, where Jesus said. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evil come from inside and make a man unclean. And then he says, Now Jesus gives a list of 13 evils, and when we study them, they are all manifestations of of human self-centeredness. They are the thoughts, words, and deeds of which we become guilty when we fail to put God first, our neighbor next, and ourselves last. And then he says, and I thought this was interesting, he said, I once took down the shorter Oxford English Dictionary and looked up the words compounded with self. Words like self-assertion, self-indulgence, self self applause self-advertisement, self-gratification, self-glorification, self-pity, and self-will. And he goes on and he says, There are more than 50 self-words that have a pejorative meaning. We evidently need this rich vocabulary to express our (laughs) multifaceted self-centeredness. If it communicates anything, all those self-words, it shows that we are just all about Self, 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 self. And we need to get away from self. And think about it. When you're miserable, when you're frustrated, when you're depressed, isn't it because you're occupied with self? Isn't that really why? And if we could just be delivered from that, we could enjoy great freedom. But of course, it, it doesn't, come, doesn't come easy. Todd also says that one time during a mission in Canada Canada University, he was talking to a young lecturer and he was trying to explain to him that if he were to accept Jesus Christ, he would have to put him at the center of his life and move himself out to the circumference. Gee, he blurted out, I guess I am very reluctant for this decentralization. (laughs) And of course, that's the problem, isn't it? Uh, we want to be at the center, but it's liberating when we can move away from the center and let God be there. Another benefit to, uh, to putting God first is confidence in prayer. Confidence in prayer. A.W. Pink said, We cannot pray aright unless the glory of God is dominant in our desires. I think that's very important. We don't pray aright. Until what we want is the glory of God. And if that becomes our dominant desire, then we can pray like never before. Some of you have heard this story before, but i got to tell it again. So it's a great story. It's about Martin Luther. In 1540, Martin Luther's good friend and assistant, Frederick Meconius, became ill and was expected to die within a short period of time. He wrote a tender farewell letter to Luther from his sickbed. When Luther received the message, he immediately sent back a reply. I command you in the name of God to live, because I still have need of your help in the work of reforming the church. How's that for compassion? (laughs) I command you to live. (laughs) The Lord will never let me hear that you are dead, but will permit you to survive me. And then he says, For this I am praying. This is my will. And may my will be done. Because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Now those words may seem harsh and insensitive to us, but God apparently honored that prayer because although Myconius had already lost the ability to speak when Luther's reply came, He soon recovered and Myconius lived six more years and died two months after Luther. Luther never did hear that Myconius died. God answered his prayer, his bold prayer that he was able to pray because he wanted God to be glorified. If we're just praying because we want stuff, there's no confidence, but if we're praying because we really do want God to be glorified, that will change our prayers. That will infuse our prayers with a confidence and a boldness they otherwise will not have, cannot have. So God's glory gives confidence in our prayers. Another thing it does, putting God and His glory first, is it gives purpose to life number of years ago, even if you didn't read the book, uh, many of you know that Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, was just a massive bestseller. The subtitle to the book was, What on Earth Am I Here For? And people bought the books by the millions because I guess they wanted to know, Why am I here? And people really do want purpose. And psychologists are telling us that people are becoming more and more depressed and they're coming to counselors more and more because they're suffering from meaninglessness. Their lives have no meaning. Their lives have no purpose. And they are depressed. People want purpose. They want meaning. They are searching for it. And yet, Our ultimate meaning in life, our ultimate purpose for being here is laid out for us right here in the Lord's Prayer. Our ultimate purpose is to glorify God, is to hallow His name, is to praise Him and then to make that manifest by seeking first His kingdom, bringing in His kingdom, using our spiritual gifts, serving in the church, serving in the community. Our purpose is is to carry out God's will, to find out what He wants in His Word and to do that. To fulfill His agenda. Our purpose in life is laid out for us right here. Jesus tells us this is what life is all about. God's name. God's kingdom. God's will. Commit yourself to that. And even the mundane becomes significant. Even the changing of diapers becomes significant because you're raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You're teaching them about Christ. And because of that, they will raise their children to honor Christ. And they will bring further glory to God. And maybe my children, maybe my grandchildren will will serve in ways that I never dreamed possible. Even the simple things can make a huge impact. Recently, I was reading an article by Archie Sproul, Jr., and I thought it was good. He he had some students over to his house for dinner and they said, how can we make a big difference for the kingdom? (laughs) We want to make an impact. What what should we do? And and he pointed to his wife, who was in the kitchen, and he said, you want to make a difference for the kingdom? You want to bring great glory to God? You want to leave your mark in history? This is what I want you to do, gentlemen. You see that woman in there? I want you to find a woman like her. I want you to love her. And I want you to have children together. And I want you to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And if you will commit yourself to that, they will not write about you in the history books, but heaven will take notice. And your impact that the Lord should be willing will continue on for generations to come. So important, if we can put everything that we do, even the mundane things, and connect them with God's glory and God's kingdom, then we can see this makes a difference. This makes a difference. Driving people to church. Bringing refreshments. Gathering together to pray for one another. Pulling weeds. Cutting the grass. It makes a difference. It is infused with great meaning and great purpose because of what it's connected to. And when you live in a world where people are just wandering around looking for meaning and purpose and they're lost, some of them, it's even worse than that. They're suicidal because life has no meaning. And we have that. And another one just real quickly... Uh, this transforms our desires to pray for God's name be. It transforms our desires. And of course, we need our desires to be transformed. Our desires need to be for God's glory, for God's kingdom, for God's will. And again, if we're honest, a lot of times those are not the desires that are near and dear to our heart. Those aren't the desires that keep us up at night. So we pray these things to help us to see what we really should be consumed with. And then maybe the day will come and we'll pray something like Henry Martin did. Henry Martin was an Anglican priest a missionary to the peoples of India and Persia. Uh, He only lived to be 31 years old. Um, He contracted a, a fever and he died of a plague. But this is what Henry Martin said on one occasion. He said, I could not endure existence if Jesus was not glorified, it would be hell to me if he were always to be dishonored. Isn't that a great statement? I cannot endure existence if Jesus Christ continued to be dishonored like this. He was driven by a desire for God and Jesus Christ to be honored. And that needs to be the desire, the passion that drives us. So maybe when we're praying for God's name to be hallowed, we also need to confess that it's not the driving force of our lives like it needs to be. And Lord, forgive us and give us a greater passion for God's glory. Set us free from self. Help us to live for You and to see that that's where life finds meaning and that's that's where life finds purpose. And of course, think of Jesus Christ. This is what He said in John 17 in his, in his high priestly prayer. He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You since You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom You have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they may know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. I glorified You on earth, having accomplished the work that You gave Me to do. Now, Father, glorify Me in Your presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. You know what the Trinity is all about? It's all about glory. (laughs) The Son says to the Father, glorify Your name. And Jesus wants the Father to be glorified. And the Father says, and I want you to be glorified. And then they send the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can what? Bring glory to the Son. And it's all about glory. And Jesus says, I don't want to go to the cross, but if it's your will, I'll go. And the Father says, yes. Because the cross is going to bring about the redemption of humanity and it will bring glory to Me and to you And the Holy Spirit will communicate that. So the Son says that I'm going to the cross so that the glory that we enjoy can be spread to Your people. And that's what we're entering into, friends. We live for God's glory. We seek to do everything that we can for God's glory. And then eternity is basking in the glory of God. And if that were not enough, we don't just bask in His glory. But He shares His glory. If you can handle this. He shares His glory with us. Isn't that awesome? That's what life is all about. It's all about God's glory. And that has to drive us. So we pray first and foremost, Oh Father, hallow Your name. Exalt Your name. Bring glory to Your name. And I will not be content. I will not stop praying for this to happen until every single person on earth gives honor to You. Father, will You bring this about? That's what we need to pray. That's what needs to drive us and motivate us. Let's pray together. Father, it's only fitting to close this message by saying, as we've been talking about, hallow your name. Hallow your name, Father. And Father, I want to ask for forgiveness for those in our community who profane your name. They have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea how wretched their speech is. Father, forgive them. And Father, we pray that You would use us to spread Your glory, to bring fame to Your name, to spread Your reputation, to let others know how great You are. Father, forgive us for being consumed with our greatness and our reputations. Father, help us to be consumed with You. In Your name. And we ask this because this is what You want. We ask this because we want You to be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.